man, I wish I had Russell Crowe's voice. <laughs> That's what I was thinking up here. What I would not give for that accent. And for Cody Knott's <laughs> voice as well. Oh, man. We came out of the silence and he was like, I was like, oh, God's here. That's amazing. I wondered what he sounded like. We have no idea how fragile life is, how beautiful, how delicate, how designed. Wow. We're just hanging out here in space. God said, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth written by his good friend Moses, who was his amanuensis. He dictated this to Moses. So this is what I want you to say. You weren't there, but I was an eyewitness. I'm a primary source. The title of the book that we're studying is Genesis. And Genesis comes from in the beginning, it's actually the word Bereshit. The first time I thought, I was like, is that bear scat? Uh, maybe you'll remember this word, bereshit, you know. Maybe say that together. Everyone say bereshit. In the beginning. The Hebrew word for Genesis. Imagine being in a conversation with God at the burning bush and he starts conversing to you about his plan for your life and then at Mount Sinai when you're up there for 40 days and 40 nights and you're communicating with God and, and he's speaking to you. It's like I want you to write a book. What do you want me to write? Well, let's talk about it. I had a lot of things on my mind. I wanna let humans know where they came from. And we, we would think, well, God started the book in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth, but he didn't talk English. You do know that, right? All of these words, God's not up there like, that is the superior language. That's the one that trumps them all. Now, he was speaking to a Hebrew, the beginning of the Hebrew nation, obviously, way back to Abraham, but Moses was speaking to him. And these are the words that would have been said in Hebrew from right to left, not left to right. Bereshit, bera Elohim, et hashamiyam viet heratz. What was that, God? Bereshit, bera Elohim, et hashamiyam viet heratz. Can you imagine that? It gives you the first words to his book. Well, the book that Moses wrote is the Pentateuch or the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and God spoke to him, and he wrote out the story of the beginning of all. Imagine a conversation. I love one passage talks to us about how this may have gone down in Exodus 33:11. It says this, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Hanging out talking. I have a sanctified imagination sometimes of how that conversation would have gone down. And here's what came to my mind. God saying, I want you to write the beginning of my book, Moses. 
Moses, maybe you haven't heard, but I'm not great with words. That's why I picked you, because people will know you didn't write it. (laughs) Moses, well, you make a great point. How long is this book, God? I'm looking at about a 605-page book, Mo, and that's how long it is, just the Torah. Moses, is anyone going to read this thing if it's that long, right? It's going to be a New York Times bestseller every year. Sweet. So how do you want to start the story, God? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's actually a very difficult thing to know how to jumpstart a story. A lot of authors write the whole story and they have no idea how to begin the book. Because the beginning of a book, you're trying to capture people's attention and call people into an unfamiliar plot with unfamiliar characters. It got me to thinking of some of the famous beginnings of books of literature that that I've read along the way. Tale of Two Cities probably is the most famous of them all. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. 1984, George Orwell, the kind of world we're living in right now. It was a bright, cold day in April and the clocks were striking 13. That's how screwy it's gonna get. Or Moby Dick, Call me Ishmael. Some years ago, never mind how long precisely, having little or no money in my purse and nothing particular to interest me on the shore, I thought I'd sail about a little and see the watery part of the world. Or catch 22, it was love at first sight. Probably my favorite of all was The Hobbit where he scrawled on a little napkin while grading papers, J.R. Tolkien did, and he said, In a hole in the ground, there lived a hobbit, and Middle-earth was created. The most timeless beginning of a book, by far, is in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth, so much in that one line. I don't know if you were as captured as I was by the James Webb telescope that came out in the spring and what it was capturing in a precision and an HD level that had never been seen before. But man, when these pictures started coming out and new pictures with more clarity, I was awestruck, literally. This is one of them, this nebula, literally hundreds of light years long. We're looking at it like on a screen between there and there. You're looking at hundreds and thousands of light years across and it captures it in this telescope. The next one, I just love these. It's like these protruding things coming out, celestial space, breathtaking images. I love the picture of Jupiter. And the next one, and just as like God was out there having the time of his life, just painting this art, looks like abstract art, and it's just a planet so far away. It captured recently one of the sun, has got as close to the sun as anyone has ever gotten with clarity. Just look at that sun. Always burning, never burning up. We live in a world that's really crazy when most things, energy lessens, our world and our universe is expanding. It's the second law of thermodynamics. 
We can't conceive that something burns but doesn't burn up. And I just think it's a perfect picture because the sun is the center of the universe. And even when God came to Moses, the guy that we're talking about, the burning bush, it would burn and was never consumed. He said, I want to be the center and everything will orbit around me. Let me give you a picture of the universe. This last one is the one that just grabbed me. It was like God was just playing with a paintbrush. And it's just captured in such pristine, colorful ways. It just takes your breath away. It made me think of the Psalm, Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words into all the world. They're talking to us without words. This world's talking to us without words. This universe talking to us about God's glory without words. Day after day, night after night. I was looking at the solar system, and it is a system. And anybody that's ever done anything or led anything, when you have systems and structures and schematics and you're a visionary and you're programming something and you're executing something, well, a system takes somebody to program the system. And so God in our solar system programmed this little thing that we're living as a part of. We have Mercury all the way closest to the sun and Venus. And then we've got Earth. That's us right there. And we got Mars and Elon Musk is really interested in Mars in this asteroid belt right here. And then we've got, I always say Juniper, but it's actually Jupiter. And then we've got Saturn here. And then we've got Uranus. That's really funny if you're in junior high. And then all the way out here, we've got Neptune. And then Pluto sort of fell off the map not too long ago. Just didn't make the cut. (laughs) This thing. Neptune was just shot by the James Webb telescope. It's right there, a lot like Saturn, just so far away 2.6 billion miles from the earth. It literally circles the sun once every 164 years. A lot of space is just for God to enjoy. Do you know we've only, even when it comes to space, the oceans are the same. We only know 10% of the oceans, 90%. Only God can enjoy them and know what inhabits them and the plant life that's under there. We can't even get down to see it. We'll never be able to see what God by himself enjoys. This is just God showing off for himself. We exist in this Milky Way. There's over 100,000 million stars just in our galaxy alone, most of which are bigger than the world in which we live. Our observable universe extending tens of billions of light years in all directions contains a fantastically large number of galaxies. Recently, science has posited over two trillion galaxies and growing by the day, kind of like our national debt. And all these things just bring up some of the biggest questions. Where did I come from? Why am I here? 
what happens after I die? It's the afterlife, the during life, the before life. These are the huge questions. And God said, I just want to start the book. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I was before the beginning and I began your beginning. Now, I wanted to just break down each one of these words at a time. It just struck me afresh this time when I was reading through Genesis 1. Do you have your devotion? You've been reading that. Did you come in armed with something? You should have been reading about this. If you don't have one, we still have more devotionals out there. Grab them. They're free. And not much is free in life right now, but they're free for you. In the beginning... I just thought to myself, I am so glad God is in the beginning, not just at the beginning. The one thing you'll know that sets apart God from all other deities is he's in it with us. He gets his hands dirty. His hands are in it. His eyes are in it. His life is in it. He's neck deep in life. His heart is definitely in it. He's always been in it. And it's different when somebody's in something than at something. When your husband's in your home or at your home. It's the difference between existence and someone's presence. To inhabit something, to be in the beginning, the inner workings of the beginning. There's a guy, Shannon Eifert, it's actually here, Shannon, there you are right there. He said something that struck a chord with me this week at the table. We were talking about Swaziland. I'm leaving tomorrow with three guys to go to Swaziland, Africa. And just on your behalf, I'm going to let them know you love them and food is coming their way. We're going to celebrate two wells that were dug and we're going to dedicate those wells and water is life and we're given life. But Shannon was talking And he said these words, you don't work for me, you work with me. It's with and not for for at home pro roofing. It's with, not for. I just love that all this could be for him for sure, but it's more he's like, I want to do things with you than you just to do things for me because I don't need anything. I am. That's my name. I want to do it with you. I want to be in it with you, in the beginning. It's the beginning, not a beginning. It's the one true beginning. God didn't think this was one of many theories or beginnings or one of many hypotheses. And just like Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. He is saying, this is the beginning of all beginnings. He believed he brought the beginning of all beginnings as the God of all gods and the Lord of all lords and the King of all kings. It's the beginning. In the beginning. Most of our stories start with once upon a time, but this wasn't once upon a time. It was once for all time, once before all time. There was a time when it was not, and then it just was. There was a point in history when history began. He was there for it. He caused it. This is the title of our series is Genesis, where it all began where it all began, the beginning of all beginnings. 
In the beginning, God, this is his first introduction of himself to man. God. In the beginning, God, the word is Elohim. There's other words for God like Jehovah or, or Yahweh in the Hebrew or Adonai, but this one is meaning creator God, originator God, cause God, sovereign God over all powerful God. And Elohim is actually, if you look at the Hebrew words, it's in the plural which has confounded scholars and theologians until you read a little bit further down in Genesis 1, verse 26, and he says, in the beginning here, but then he says, let us make man in our image. Who's he talking about? The Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. If you look at this, it actually had this insinuation as I studied it of a rope with three strands that are tied together. That's what Elohim is. The Son, the Spirit, and the Father tied together. One God, three persons, plural and yet singular. In the beginning, God. God was the cosmic cause. He was the solitary source. The Bible calls him the ancient of days, the uncreated creator, the uncaused cause. This is why he gave himself the name that is above every name. When Moses asked him in the burning bush, when I go to Pharaoh, who shall I say sent me? And he said, tell him I am that I am sent you. What a weird name. Other than I exist without cause, without any other verb connected to me other than I am. I just am. I always was. I always am. I always will be the same yesterday, today, forever, in eternity past, in eternity present, into eternity in the future. I am that I am, or another way of saying it, he is because he is, or another way of saying it is he is the only one that can be cause himself. Just because the uncaused cause, the uncreated creator, God. In the beginning, God created. First verb of the Bible, the first action or activity we're introduced of by God is that he's an artist, he's a creator, he's an innovator. And that's a big deal because we think, oh, we're creative, we can create. A creator creates ex nihilo out of nothing. All we can do is discover and invent and develop and innovate, but we've never created something out of nothing. All we do is take the something he created and create something out of something but he created something out of nothing. Theologians call it this creatio, creatio ex nihilo, which means it's a doctrine that matter is not eternal, but had to be created by some divine creative act. Ex nihilo means out of nothing. He created. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The heavens and the earth. This is the earth. He didn't create an earth, he created the earth. And he created the universe. There's not a metaverse. Well, there's meta as a company. There's not a multiverse. There's not another planet. In fact, scientists are looking for what they call planet B. 
And there's no plan B, there's no planet B, because this one is positioned just close enough to the sun so that we're warm and just far enough away from it so that we don't freeze. You go in one mile, either direction, closer to the sun or closer to the moon, and you do not have inhabitants. We're the only place that is an ecosystem and an atmosphere and an environment where anything can sustain life. And he created the heavens and the earth. And he wanted us here. Well, why did he do it? Our theme for this year is hunger. And it's the statement, God, we want you here. And the statement of God in Genesis 1.1, why we're here is he said, humans, I want you here. I don't need you here. It's not out of desperation. It's not a despotic demand for subordinates and slaves. He wanted us here. The Godhead in community, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit one day thought we are too good to keep to ourselves. We've got to share this with someone else. I want someone else here for this. What do you say we create mankind? What an idea. What a brainchild idea. I remember in 1998 being struck by this afresh and I wrote something in my journal called The Infinite and the Intimate Creation Story. I want you to know that the Bible to me was just sort of a dead book for the first 18 years of my life and then it finally came alive to me and I realized it was so relational and God wanted a personal relationship with me and it wasn't just a book like any religious book filled with a bunch of things you can't understand and things to obey so that you, you know, are not naughty and you're nice. It was like God wants a relationship with me and I saw it in creation and so I wrote this piece of poetry, dark, empty, formless, still covered by the hovering presence, happy presence of the spirit brooding over the vacant world like a mother hen over her eggs. The birth of creation was nearing. Life was latent under the wings of the silent ghost, warming the world beneath and waiting for the world above to speak the word that would set in motion a day long awaited. Never before had the angels seen such a smile on the face of their creator, their maker. He was more than alive. He was more than awake. He was afoot. He was astir with eager anticipation, muttering to himself something about a shadow of his heart. You see, God never had a shadow before. Shuffling about, he opened his mouth and words became worlds and sound became stick and stone and finally flesh and bone. It was a day he would never forget appearing with every sound were colors and creatures designed with pristine precision. The mind's eye of God came to life as he uttered awakening songs. The artist was painting and all the angels looked on with jealousy. He would close his eyes and speak a word that would move mountains and carve canyons. Nothing like this had ever happened before. What does a God who has everything create? Look around you and then look in the mirror. We are the product of God's imagination, the dream that pestered his heart until he could take it no longer. 
Growing mounds burst from the ground, morphing from dust to design, taking on a life of their own, and yet not their own. They sprung from the heart of their maker. Seedlings and saplings pressed through hardened soil. Twigs and trees took shape. Vines and shrubs sprung from below, twisting and clinging to living wood. Antlers plowed up through the ground of the fields of grass, springing up as long-buried beasts, clawing the earth, testing their legs, snorting the air that brought them to life, Starting and dancing with the joy of a child. Can I get an amen from the hunters? Hills exploded from the flat plains, turning into beasts that surprised the eye. Massive moving creatures of power, groaning and growling with delight, freed from the mind of God to roam wild. The skies change color as clouds birthed birds gliding and soaring with the grace of God. Alighting on branches high above the earth, they clung to the trees as fast friends. It was love at first sight. The ground swelled and stretched, holding back the currents that need flow, exploding with water from within and feeding brook, then stream, then river, leading to pond, then lake, then ocean. Soon the water met resistance, but this struggle for power only led to more beauty. As water forced its way over stubborn rock, waterfalls cascaded down jagged ledges, creating sound that warmed the soul. How many love waterfalls in this place? The crystal sea lay dormant, watching the land come alive, only to be surprised by a monstrous being exploding to the surface and flying sideways, then splashing back into the fluid. It called home. That's when I see those whales just kind of come up and splash. Then came mankind, male and female, identical twins with the image of God, sculpted from the clay with custom care, touches so tender all creation held its breath, and then without hesitation, God cupped his lips over man's mouth and kissed him with the love of heaven, a kiss that lingers on to this day. God was leading the symphony of life, pointing and smiling and crying in delight, raising his hands and lowering his head like a maestro, his masterpiece, dancing about like a child on Christmas morn, setting his dreams to drama, his love to life. And this was just the beginning. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty and dark. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters that were dark deep. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness. I I just look at this. And I think this is what God's still doing in people's lives. Just as a pastor, I look at this and I just believe God is still hovering over by his spirit, the deep, dark places in us that are formless and void and empty and aimless and deep and nobody knows about it. And he hovers over those places in us even today, longing to create life. Longing to say, let there be light inside of you in the same way he created it in the universe. He created it in the human heart. Did you know heart has the same letters as earth? You take the H and you bring it to the end and you have earth instead of heart. And this earth is his heartbeat. And you, you have the imago Dei inside of you, the very image of God. You are the footprint and the fingerprint of the creator. You're Pinocchio, he's your Geppetto. He says, let there be. 
This is a different way that stories develop. This would be a different way of creating because usually things are created and it takes time. It came to be. It came to be. It didn't come to be in this story. He said, let there be. And it says in this story, it was so immediately. That's why if you were there at creation and he created Adam and you just met Adam, you're like, how old you are you? And he'd be like, God, I'm 10 seconds old. Well, you look like you're a middle-aged man. And he's like, I know, but he made it so. He said, let there be. And I was, so I have the appearance of age. And that tree has the appearance of age. And all this rock has the appearance of age down to the tectonic plates. But it was just so when he created it. And I know it looks like that. And you can do science and it says it's that old. But I'm telling you, it's only because I was born again through Christ and his spirit inspiring me with the appearance of age. It wasn't just over a long period of time. No, he said, let there be, and it was so immediately. Sometimes you read a creation story, and there's just not enough detail, so many questions, so many sweeping ideas. It's so vague that it hardly seems plausible or even possible. Sometimes you just wish you had this firsthand account. You wish God would narrate the Genesis story and put to bed the doubts of skeptics and cynics and historians and theologians to put to bed even our own doubts with our species origin story. How did he do it? How did it happen? Did you know that God did just that? That he poetically narrated the Genesis tale as old as time? He did it because this guy named Job, who lived in the time of Abraham, poked the bear and offended God in the process. He demanded that God answer to him about his suffering and accused God of indifference in the dramatic story found in the book of Job, the oldest book in the Old Testament, as a matter of fact, dating back to 2180 BC. God was able to retell the Bereshit, the genesis of the universe, in chapter 38 as he responded to Job's accusations. He said this, verse one, and God spoke to Job out of a storm. If you're in a storm, God is known to speak out of a storm. He said, who is this that obscures my counsel with words without wisdom? Brace yourself like a man and I will question you and you shall answer me. Like I've heard from you long enough. It's time for me to tell you what's what. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand, Job. Who marked off its dimensions, surely you know. Who stretched the measuring line across it? He's talking about, I created it. I had measuring lines. I laid the foundation and the footers. I marked off dimensions. He goes on, who shut up? Or where were its footings set and who laid the cornerstone while the morning song stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? God goes on, who shut up the sea behind the doors when it burst forth from the womb? Here's a birthing kind of idea that he brings. When I made the clouds, its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness, I'm like a weaver, I'm like a seamstress with this universe. When I fixed limits for it and set its doors and its bars in place, I'm a builder, I'm a contractor. When I said this far, you may come and no further. Here is where your proud waves halt like a traffic control, like right there, that's where you stop. A little bit more of that, nah, sprinkle that. This is what he's doing. Have you ever given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place? Have you journeyed to the springs of the sea or walked in the deep recesses of the deep? 
Have the gates of death been shown to you, Job? Have you seen the gates of the deepest darkness? Have you comprehended the vast expanses of the earth? Tell me, if you know all this already, I I won't keep talking, but I have a feeling you don't know jack squat, Job. What is the way to the abode of life? Where does darkness reside? Can you take them to their places? Do you know the paths to their dwellings? I know their homes. Surely you know, for you were already born, weren't you? You lived so many years. This is where God gets snarky. Because he's friends with Job and he's friends with Moses. He talks face to face as a man would talk to his friends. I don't know what kind of distant deity you came up in your religious upbringing, but this God is personal. So personal, you'd be uncomfortable with it. Have you entered the storehouses of snow? Essentially saying, have you ever been to Michigan (laughs) and seen the storehouses of hail? which I reserve for times of trouble and days of war and battle? What's the way to the place where lightnings disperse to the place where the east winds are scattered over the earth? Who cuts a channel for the torrents of rain and a path for the thunderstorm to water a land where no one lives in uninhabited desert? I'm there to satisfy a desolate wasteland and make it sprout with grass. Does the rain have a father? Who fathers the drops of dew? I'm their father. And they said, from whom's womb comes the ice? I'm the mother. I'm the father of all creation. Who gives birth to the frost from the heavens when the waters become hard as stone, when the surface is in a deep freeze? Can you bind? Then he goes to the constellations and the stars and starts naming constellations before anybody even knew what was going on. Galileo was not even close to being born yet. And he's like, let me tell you what these are named. I've actually named them like they're my pets. I bind the chains of Pleiades. Can you loose Orion's belt? Orion's belt? Can, can you bring forth the constellations in their seasons or lead out the bear with its cubs? That, that's Acturus, this star formation. Do you know the laws of the heavens? If you set up like I have dominion over all of the earth, I am the lawyer of heaven, setting up all the laws, second law of thermodynamics, dynamics, the law of gravity, everything that you're enjoying, these laws obey me because I'm the lawyer and the ruler of all. Can you raise your voice to the clouds and cover yourself with a flood of water? Do you send the lightning bolts on their way, dispatching them, and then do they report to you, here we are? Isn't this crazy? The lightning bolts are, where do we go next? Florida? Okay. Go on. Lightning bolts reporting, here we are. Aye, aye, sir. Yes, my Lord. Where, where's the next destination? You just say it. You say the word. You know, your wish is my command. Like all of creation just coming to him as the sovereign ruler of all. What, what can I do for you, Lord? Everything is from you and for you and to you and through you. It's crazy because you get God kind of silent for a second. And Job says this, we have his response after hearing that. And Job answered the Lord, I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. I spoke once, but I have no answer. Twice, but I will say no more. I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You ask, who is this that obscures my counsel without wisdom? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Do you remember that day in your faith? Remember the day where you heard about God 
And then God became personal. And it was like, yeah, I heard about you. But now my eyes have seen you. And I love you. Not because mom and dad love you or grandma or grandpa love you. I love you. I've heard all about you, but now I see what you're doing and what you've done. And so you read Genesis 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty and darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light and there was light and God saw the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness. It's where we first see sanctification where he sets things apart for his purposes. I couldn't help but go to the New Testament and think of the next time God spoke a creation in 2 Corinthians 5. He spoke of another time where he creates something new inside the human heart and it would be no less mysterious and no less miraculous. Salvation was a second shot at creation in the mind of God. That's why a name for Jesus in the New Testament is a second Adam. I'm gonna be a second Adam and I'm gonna start a new creation in the heart of man. Second Corinthians five says, for the love of Christ compels us because we were convinced that one died for all and, and that's why we died. And we die and he died for all that those who died might no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised. So we used to regard Christ in one way but now we regard him completely differently. We don't do that anymore. Therefore, anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone, baby. The new has come. And he hovers over your heart to this day. The same God who hovered over this barren earth hovers over you even now to accomplish the same thing in me and my sons and my daughters and my wife and you He's hovering over the hearts of Lowell, the hearts and homes of Lowell, and the surrounding area he hovers over and longs to birth out of the barrenness, a new creation. I was thinking about this story and thought about it through a salvation lens, and it goes something like this. Our lives without God are formless, empty, and dark. Maybe you feel that today. And God's spirit hovers over the deep, dark places in us. And he longs to create a new in the beginning, a new barashit in us. And only at our invitation, he speaks over our hearts, let there be. Some things you're trying to make happen, and he's the only one that can make it happen. It's interesting, let there be, reminds me of the theological term justification in God's word where, where it literally means to declare righteous. You aren't righteous, but I'm going to declare you righteous. I'm gonna see you as righteous. I'm gonna clothe you with my son. He died for you as the perfect substitutionary atonement, the surrogate sacrifice. And I'm gonna say, let you be righteous and let my son be the one who took my wrath for sin and I will cover you with my son as my son was covered with your sin when he was crucified on the cross. Let there be righteousness in you and there was righteousness when you open your heart to receive him. And out of the lifeless void, he burst light and life in us. I wonder if this is what he meant in John 3 when he talked to Nicodemus. He's like, 
unless you're born again, you'll never see the kingdom of God. And he says, do you wanna be born again? I wanna birth light and life in you by my spirit. The creator then takes his creature, that's you and me, and creates a new creation. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. This is his story, and this is our history. And this is why we worship him. And today when we were singing that one song, when it talked on a hill you created, the light of the world came to die and took away all our mistakes and all of our sins and all of our grievances. And you're the one who never leaves the one behind. I just feel so impressed Today, I don't know if you're here and you're just like, man, I'm so left out, I'm so left behind, I'm so alone, I feel like void and formless and dark. Does God care about me? Does anybody know who I am? You could play hide and seek and you could hide and no one seeks after you and you wonder, God, will you seek after me? Do you know about me? And he said, I formed you in your mother's womb. I knit you in your mother's womb. I have a plan and a purpose for your life. He gave us purpose. He's the purposer. You have been designed out of the desire of God for a destiny. You are not a random person. It was not an accident. You are here on purpose for purpose by the purposer. And you are are made in the image of the God that we looked at and reveled in today. Now, everybody is made in his image, but not everybody's a child of God. I hear this thrown around. We're all God's children. No, we're not. You have to receive Christ to become a son and daughter of the most high father God. But we are all made in his image with a mind, will, and emotions that mimic our creator. And we are longing for him and stretching and yearning to, to be connect with him again. Your spirit today is longing. It's crying out. In fact, in Galatians 4, he bursts something and adopts us so that inside the spirit groans out. It says, Abba, Father, I want my dad. I want my father. I know I was birthed from a mother and I was put in, into shape and being by a father and in Christ. In the image of God, male and female come together to represent a God who birthed and fathered you into existence. And he's just calling his children home. It's a mess out there in the world right now, isn't it? Confusion illusions, delusions. The opposite of confusion is fusion. God is longing to fuse together places in you that the world is longing to confuse. And when you have fusion with your father, life will finally make sense because you'll know where you're from, why you're here, and where you're going when this world's over. And all you have to do is cry out and say, God, I want you. I need you. I need you here. Thank you in the beginning of creation that said, I want you here with me. You wanted me, God. 
I need you. I want a relationship with you. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. May your Holy Spirit that's hovering over my heart find its home in my heart and fill me up with your spirit so I can become a son and daughter of the most high God. If, you, if you've prayed that, just prayed that, we're gonna have a prayer team up here at the end of the service. Just come and pray with them and talk with them and let them know you made that decision. Aren't you glad that you know God? Yes. I'm so glad. God, you are awesome. You are awesome in this place. Thank you for this great idea. Thank you for this amazing imaginative idea called life, the universe, the depths of the seas, the planetary systems, the galaxies, just everything. It cries out to you as the creator. You have all the glory. You're so good. So send us out today to declare your goodness and to live out your goodness into the world every day to wake up. Do what you did to create to enjoy and to rest. To create, to enjoy, and to rest. To know when enough's enough, and when we're done, and it is good. Teach us that this week, Lord. We pray this in your son's name, amen. Hey, we'll see you next week, thanks for coming.